0: Welcome in because this is no time for a casual faith. This is no time for a casual faith. I could recount, and I could do it with your help, all the things that are troublesome and that our world needs. I don't know if we have enough paper or enough time to list it. But here's what I know. If we just list all the problems, it's overwhelming. And how change happens is not with our mind always. It has to be connected to our hearts. And it has to be an emotional tug that makes us understand where we're going and why we're going together. We have to honor the bright spots first. And this church... And our coming together and our being welcomed home is an incredible bright spot. And we have to build on the bright spot. And the bright spot is about we are all ages, coming together on Sunday and in between to recharge our batteries, to look at that list that's long and decide which ones we can and cannot do together, recharge our batteries in nature, this is no time, this is no time for a casual faith. I have a, a friend who has a neighbor. She lives in a neighborhood um, of various sizes, houses, and there is one neighbor who recently quit mowing their lawn, trimming the hedges, and yeah, it was a, an eyesore, but the real problem was it created, um, they were on the corner, and it created a, a an obstacle so you couldn't turn. It was dangerous. It was literally dangerous. So my friend was talking to another neighbor, and this other neighbor was just furious. You know, I've called the, the city on this person. I've written letters. I've sent emails. I've gone on to m- next door and talked about my neighbor and how... Th- things need to change and my friend who is a wise one said yeah that's like us making a list of all the things that are wrong with the world my friend said you know I know a little bit about that household and rather than chiming in with yeah you are so right instead said huh why do you think they're not mowing their lawn Do you have a set of trimmers? Because I have a set. What if we go and just trim the one hedge that really is obstructing the way? Because that's dangerous. And let's get that done this afternoon. That won't take us but three minutes. I wonder why they're not mowing the lawn. You know, I happen to know that her husband left her and she has three kids. So she may need help. Just kind of mowing the lawn. What if, for the time being, we just helped her mow her lawn? I don't know about you, but I end up, it is so satisfying to make that list of all the things that are wrong, rather than really asking what's going on and how can I help. This is not a time for a casual faith. Our list of things that need changing in this world, in ourselves, in this church are long. And uh, the other thing about change is we tell ourselves, and I've said this, I've said this from this spot more than once, that change is hard, except people are starting new grades each year. People come into my office and say, I'm going to make this huge change, and I'm going to yoke myself to this person and marry them. And they're excited. They're excited about this change. <laughs> but if I framed it as change, I want you to know change is hard. <laughs> Living with someone you don't know and having to adapt to their habits is that blah, blah, blah is hard. But we make change all the time. So the trick is for us to pay attention to what are the three things, uh, Sermon of Three, three things that make change possible. So I've been reading a couple of things. The title of this sermon is Let Justice Roll Down Like Water, because I've been reading Amos. Amos is in the Hebrew Bible, and he's considered a minor prophet. And he was a fairly wealthy man. Owned, We think he owned land, because he, he talks about the fruit trees he owned. So in order to have fruit trees, you have to have the land. So he was landed gentry. But he was critical of the courts. He was critical of the disparity of wealth. And he was critical of religious institutions, which I'm going to sort of reframe as he was critical of how things were done at the time with priestly order, and and we could critique uh, how, how are we fitting in with culture versus pushing back against what needs to change. And I've also been reading, uh, some of you may know Chip Heath, He's written a lot of um, management, institutional change kinds of books. And one of the books he wrote is called Switch. And he looks at what is it that really makes change in institutions, we are an institution, change. And it is three things. You have to appeal to the brain. And he tells this whole story about, well, the brain is like the rider... The person on top of the one who knows where they're going on top of an animal, and he uses an elephant as a an example. And he calls the elephant our emotions, our feelings. So you have to convince our feelings. So we don't just have to say it is so important to do this, this, and this, this long list that we've now made and agree we all want to change. Making the list is good. But we have to find our, our emotional investment and story together. So we have to pay attention to the elephant and what the elephant needs and wants. And the third thing is we have to know where we're going because we may be able to ride an elephant, but if we want to go this way and the elephant's going that way, we have a problem. So he tells a story... And some of you may know of Jerry Sternin. He um, he's a man who was asked by Save the Children, the British UK nonprofit that goes around the world looking at children and malnutrition. And this was a time when Vietnam was now more at peace, but children were dying by the score because. They were starving. And Save the Children invited Jerry and his family to go to Vietnam. And Vietnam, who by then had had a million different NGOs come and say, ah, we can help you. So when Jerry showed up, they were like, right, another do-gooder, another person who can help us make this list. We know what's wrong with us. Thanks a lot. So they gave him a challenge. They said, yeah, you can try. We're going to give you 60 days to make a difference. 60 days. So (laughs) Jerry and his family arrive in Vietnam. He does not speak Vietnamese. And he's read up about malnutrition and nutrition. But what he immediately does is go out into the country and starts talking to village villagers and says are there children who are thriving and every village has, says yes yes there are children thriving and he says well, what do those children have in common what's the bright spot what's the thing you're already doing well <clears throat> And it turns out those families had figured out how to make a combination of protein and vegetables more accessible to their children. And he helped, he helped villages figure out how, in the rice paddies, to scoop up some of the little shrimp and other protein and how to pick some of the greens that were nearby to add to their children's diet. Simple, stuff they were already doing, out in the fields, already feeding, And he helped them see they were already feeding their children, but that if you only give them one meal a day, they're ravenous in between. So helped them see, yes, you need to feed them like me every two or three hours or I get cranky. So in 60 days, he had begun to transform what they were already doing by looking at what they were already doing well, I'm trying to decide if I want to go where I was planning to go. <laughs> go there. Because I'm struggling with a bright spot that we have that needs to shine brighter. And that is we are an intergenerational church, but I still feel like we remain disconnected across the ages and that we aren't really making full use of our beloved, wise, wonderful seniors. And we aren't making full use of our children and our youth and our young adults. We're doing something today that we've done since I started coming, and that's taking a picture I don't know if you remember, but the first picture I took when I came here six years ago, we all stood out on the patio. And then the second year, kind of the honeymoon, hey, the new minister's here, this is fabulous. We had a whole bunch of new people, and we couldn't fit on the patio. And our photographer, Robert Billings, said, okay, you're going to have to get on the grass, and he had to get far away. And I don't know where our picture will be today, Because I sense that we've contracted just a little bit. And I've noticed that who is coming to visit is often not families with children. So we have this bright spot and I think we have some things to think about. I I said I was going to focus on hospitality and asking questions. And my question is, Are we being hospitable enough across the board? Are we really intermingling? And can we already do what we're doing and do it differently? Do it better? And here's why it matters. Because the world needs change. The world needs us. And if we're not asking enough what those who are coming up need then we may not be making effective change. Those who are under the age of 30 are facing pressures that I don't fully understand. I don't have student debt, but do you know how many people, if if they had to bend over by their amount of debt they were carrying, that we would have a lot of young people walking like this? I don't know how they sleep at night trying to raise children with distractions that I don't fully understand? And hunger, this disparity of wealth. If we aren't looking at the disparity of wealth, so I can help make this list once again. But if we aren't looking at all the ways that we are... uh, There was an absolutely fabulous leadership class yesterday and what was repeated as we all went around and talked about why we're here is something I hear a lot, which is, I'm here because it's a refuge and because there are people who think like me. And I've begun thinking, how much of that is not just a religious statement or a theological statement or a political party statement, and how much of it is, I'm much more comfortable with people my own age. Yes, I've got that same. Um, We have now a robust stewardship committee. And that's about raising money. But we need a robust stewardship work, nurturing our resources and planting seeds down in religious education there are so many ways that we might creatively with what we're already doing begin to help us intermingle because one drop as Amos reminds us in his story of trying to change ancient Israel is that it takes a whole collection of drops together to make change and we are together making change We have to begin to look at our differences and get to know each other across generations. Susan is trying to ask people to mentor the youth, and I also think we need to create other kind of partnerships across generations. What if we formed a gauntlet and welcomed all the children in every once in a while? What if we really celebrated all the ages? What if we really asked those who are young adults and young families, what do you need We are not a church without resources. We are a bright spot. We haven't had a child dedication in years. Not that I'm not willing. But if we're not paying attention. So by by the end of this year, December 30th, 2018, that's going to be the end of our 50th? Here's my challenge. I challenge the whole church to be a buzz asking how can we market it's not a word you often hear in from the pulpit but that's actually we need to get the word to others and hear back from them why they don't know about us how can we invite we're having a nature camp anyone here want to help with the nature camp do you have a morning or an afternoon in october to just come watch the children do amazing things How can we include our children, our youth? If you're on a committee, would you like a youth advice? Would you like a youth representative? Would you like to come talk to the children or the youth and say, you know, I work in this part of the church, and we make we bring cookies. What cookie do you want? Sometimes it's that simple. There are churches that have youth. Advisors on the board of trustees. Why don't we have youth on our board of trustees giving us input? Our stewardship committee. We have someone who is learning philanthropic principles through the Schusterman Foundation. Why is she not sometimes helping with stewardship or giving her ideas to outreach and generosity? That that stuff, simple. That's my challenge. December 31st, 2018. Four months away. This is not a time for a casual faith. If we want to be here for another 50 years, making a difference in South Tulsa. May it be so.